This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio, 1123. Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 
At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only excludes Alaska and Hawaii. It's film study once again, week six. The uh, I was about to say the Orioles, but no, the Ravens squeaked one out this weekend in Pittsburgh. Ken McCusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing good. I had a great baseball conversation just a few minutes ago on Section 336, so I'm all fired up from that. Now I'm excited to uh, really get into this Ravens defense and uh, about what improved and what went to continue to be problems this uh, this weekend. And Ivan is joining us. Ivan, welcome back to the show. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Otherwise known as Coach Evans, I think, to all his ball players, but uh, certainly known as Coach Evans in terms of his YouTube content. Mm-hmm. And tell us a little bit about that, Coach. Uh, so I have a YouTube channel. It's uh, Sip the Tally Films. And, um, again, I'm Coach Evans. And what I do is I just do video breakdown of, of the Ravens, um, what I thought was good, what I thought was bad. And I try to be as honest as possible, as as unbiased as possible from my breakdown and tri- pretty much try to give the average fan a little bit of content from a coach's point of view. You know, maybe some, you know, some technique things that they don't know about or, or why things are ran or what things are called and just try to enlighten the, the average fan on, on, on things from the coach's point of view. Okay. That's outstanding. We love that point of view coach. And whether you get a question in tonight, you won't hear this until afterwards, but the next time Coach is on, make sure you get your questions in, uh, in with that in mind, that you have a coach available to yourself to answer some of these questions. But, uh, you know, great game. Obviously, always good to come out of Pittsburgh with a win. Uh, they stuck to the formula in this game of winning snap count, 73-51. to 51. They really controlled the game, despite the fact that they only averaged 5.3 yards, sorry, 3.8 yards per offensive play. And I'm a big fan of that also, but, you know, you say snap count, I say time possession, which in a sense is the same thing. And we mm-hmm. want a time possession big time, uh, 39 minutes to 25 minutes um, this, okay. this, this past Sunday. I got my reason why it's snap count and not time of possession. It's snap count because it's the number of consecutive plays you can keep defenders off the on the field. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that with the no huddle gets defense much more tired in the short term as opposed to just the long term. So, But I agree. I want to see hands on hips on that defense across the line on that fourth quarter. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, one of the things that really stuck out to me about this game was how outstanding the cornerback play was. And, you know, the cornerbacks and the secondary in general have taken a lot of hits. Uh, you know, Jefferson obviously injured in this game. Thomas, I thought, played well. But the cornerbacks, all three of them, won this game for the Ravens from my perspective. And they, they did a great job of uh, improving on one of the things I kind of talked about them about. Since the the second half of the Cardinals game, there were a lot of free runners just running through the secondary unguarded, uh, and they were getting they weren't necessarily giving up touchdowns, but they were giving up big runs because guys were like nobody else was in the frame. And so every almost every snap that I noticed this game, if a guy was open, there was somebody in high pursuit of. 
Yeah, coverage coverage breakdowns were definitely very limited. One of the things in terms of cornerbacks is they hardly gave up any yak in this game. Now, the one the early touchdown to Juju was a double wipeout rub play. Mm-hmm. So the, the two Ravens ran into each other, and the two uh, uh, oh, the Steelers both ran into each other as well. Juju then got free, and Humphrey was a few yards removed from him. Caught him by the sideline. Went for the went for the chop. I didn't think it was a really high risk chop that he went for, but it didn't work. And Juju's a star. He ran through it for the touchdown on that play. I think you always the chop is a great thing, but you got to secure the tackle first. Okay, you secure the tackle first, unless it's just an all or nothing situation. But you, which happened later on in the game. Yep. All right. All right. Uh, let's see what else we want to talk about. I thought that, that because part of what made the cornerback play so great was they really had extended coverage times with all of the, you know, not particularly good pass rush. Each of the three guys got a ticky tack penalty on them at some point. But I thought the fact that they that they stayed with receivers and Kennedy in particular didn't have a bunch of passes defensed in this game, but he certainly had his coverage radius on top of the receiver's catch radius for most of that football game. And he's has a, had an interesting last two games, well, or, or maybe even a game and a half, the second half of last week. And um, this whole game, every you know, every time that I saw him, and I haven't seen him all 22 yet, but just from looking at the broadcast view, every time I saw where he was defending the guy, he was either right on top of him and they had to make a, an outstanding catch, or as soon as they caught the ball, they, tackled, they, he was ta- they were tackled, and they went down right then, like you said earlier. Uh, giving up not much to any yak at all. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, he, he barely gave up any yak in this game. It, it, uh, they did target him a fair amount in this game, more than ten throws. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, that might not be right. I think it might have been eight throws in this game. They they uh, they tossed his way, but they did not did not make it work. Not for uh, a lot of yardage after the catch, and not for a lot of yardage on the catches themselves. So, uh, both very impressive. Uh, I think the emergence of Kennedy and, and he's played a half game each of the last two weeks where mm-hmm. he replaced Averett each time. Mm-hmm. And then this week, Averett was a healthy scratch. And so they've right. given the job to Kennedy. Uh, and and it, it, from my point of view, I think the emergence of Kennedy over the last two full games over three weeks really diverts any discussion of needing to acquire a cornerback right now. I mean, I know, I know I like to have four cornerbacks who can really play and maybe Averett is a guy that is good enough to be the fourth corner still on this team. But Kennedy has emerged, and he's clearly good enough to be the third. Uh, I, yeah. just, it, I think there's a question of, of you know, whether or not they should go out and get anyone. Are, are you feeling fairly secure about corner right now? Uh, at corner, he, he has emerged. And I think a healthy get-after-it pass rusher will help all cornerbacks. Mm-hmm. So if, if your corner is at a – out of a scale of 1 to 10, if your corner is a 6 – Mm-hmm. You put a good pass rush in there, he immediately jumps up to eight. There you go. Yeah, I, I agree. They, there's so much interplay there, and that, that's a lot of fans don't really get that. You know, they think about you know these one-dimensional kind of situations, but they really there's a ton of interplay, and you get a, a, a critical mass gain by having like one better in each category, or two better from the pass rush, like you say that you mm-hmm. you, you pick up on the back end as well. Perfect uh, example: um, the Bears. The mm-hmm. Bears really got one good DB. But because of Khalil Mack and all they got in that front seven, all four of them make plays. Yep. Yep. Couldn't agree more. Uh, we, we talked about comp- I, one guy who has not been talked about too much, but I think he's been playing great is Brandon Carr. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's playing wherever the team needs him to do, whether that's the slot or on the outside. 
So he's been the versatile piece they've really needed with the loss of Tavon Young. And he also is not giving up anything in the way of yards after the catch, at least not to speak of. Uh, the professional is professional. Don't, don't miss games. Um, for the most part, it's always where he's supposed to be. And uh, doesn't do anything spectacular, but don't really give up big plays either. Right. Yeah, I've been very happy with that. And, of course, we, we couldn't talk about this without talking about Marlon Humphrey. Certainly had the play of the game. He had a real nice play near interception earlier in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, another big – he really is the Ravens' defensive superstar, their lone superstar that they really have. He is a stud. He is a stud. I, I, I just can't his, – his competitive nature – his, to go along with his athletic ability and his football IQ. Mm-hmm. Putting all those three things together equals, in my mind, stud and future, like, superstar in the NFL. Yeah. I, I do think he's probably a better cornerback now than Jalen Ramsey is. Jalen Ramsey's had problems this year. Mm-hmm. Frankly, I don't completely trust Jalen Ramsey, the human being, to come to Baltimore and be happy for a period of years if they did trade for him. I mean, I think mm-hmm. he'd find something to be unhappy about here if he can find something in the early years in, in Jacks. Right. But but in any case, I, I think Humphrey as a cornerback has proven himself at a very similar level. And I, I, I do want them to give the money to him, mm-hmm. uh, you know, who's played within the system, who's, you know, obviously prepared to be a bigger leader on this defense than he is right now. It's a little unusual that a cornerback, will be your team leader defensively. But Humphrey seems to have the temperament for that. And uh, to, to piggyback on the Ramsey point, with the emergence of, of Avery, mm-hmm. you know, that, that kind of puts, to me, Ramsey on the back burner. Cause you mean Kennedy, it, right? Kennedy, I'm sorry. Kennedy on the back burner. That put Kennedy on the back burner. Put, the emergence of Kennedy uh, puts Ramsey on the back burner because we need a pass rusher. Yeah. And the pass, pass rusher seems to be number one uh, uh, need right now because, like I said, that'll bring those DBs put their play up. All right, all right. Uh, anything else about Humphrey we want to talk about before we move on here? Because I know what I, one thing I wanted to point and maybe get your coach's opinion on this. He kind of has two techniques for punching the ball loose, and he doesn't. He punched this one. It was it was really like a, what's the item called? A captive bolt pistol, which they use to kill cattle. <laughs> It, it's it's the item from uh, No Country for Old Men. That's what the punch up against Juju looked like that won the ball game. Mm-hmm. But most That's the one of the time, right in the middle of the head. Yeah, mm-hmm. there you go. <laughs> but but it, was, it had that kind of force, and that ball went flying like those locks in those movies did all the way across the room kind of thing. But, but, did you notice when the, the he hit the ball so hard that it, the bounces were unpredictable? Uh-huh. That ball really should have went out of bounds. Yep. Then it just stuck, and he was able to go back and get it. So that was... That's just how much force he had on the ball, how much how much spin and, and torque that was on it. Yep, as, a, as definitely as sweet a punched out as you'll ever see. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also great that he got off off the ground, Juju didn't, and he beats two guys to the ball who were there sooner, and obviously we're having trouble playing the bounce, like you mentioned, that uh, that's pretty cool. But I, I often mention that Humphrey's right arm has been like a baseball bat most of the time, because usually he tries to just doesn't matter whether he's getting ball or arm. He wants to generally disrupt bone, skin, and ball as much as possible <laughs> to get that ball loose when he's when he's uh, going for the PD. But uh, that was kind of like the, the first one, the one he missed on. Yeah, that was that was. I think that was that one. It was like a wild swing, hoping to just hit something. Yeah, he did kind of go across the arm rather than mm-hmm. to the ball. Yeah. 
All right. Well, we've talked a little bit about the pass rush. Let's kind of finish that up in terms of, of what we saw. There were, there were a lot of problems, obviously, with the pass rush. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about the scheme to start with, and then we can jump in on some other things. They, they rushed with numbers, and for the first time this year, they really had a problem with that working. So in this game, when they rushed six or more, uh, they allowed, let's see, 76 yards on eight plays, 9.5 per play. So not what they want. And going into this, they'd allowed under four yards per pass when they rushed six or more. So it really a big reversal in this game against Pittsburgh. And it was a significant number of times they tried to rush numbers, but the ball was out quickly most of the time for, for solid yardage. Uh, and what, what the note I got on that was I saw a ton of different blitzes, mm -hmm. but not, none of which got home. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly what I had now. None of which got home. We had one sack. And, and I saw a ton of different... You know, guys taking different gaps and different approaches, trying to get to the quarterback, doing different moves, and and they did a good they did a good job of getting the ball out. Mm -hmm. Even when he held it a little bit, we still didn't get home. Yeah, I, I agree, and that was it was an ongoing problem. Eighteen individual blitzes in this game, and we might define them a little differently. But I'm if the guy was at least a yard and a half off the line of scrimmage and inside the slot receiver, mm -hmm. then that he he's a declared blitzer, a declared pass rusher, but otherwise it's a blitzer. And 18 individual blitzes in this game. They also had one, two, four stunts, it looks like, in the game. So uh, one of the things that happened is there were times when the pocket was going to break down within three seconds, including an embarrassing eight-man eight pass rush where they couldn't develop pressure. It looked like the pocket was going to break down, but didn't break down. The ball was out quickly for a 10-yard gain. Uh, that's the kind of thing you've got to make something happen on a play like that. Force an incomplete, get in the guy's face. That could, that's like the worst outcome you can really have is incomplete pass. You're seeing eight guys. Somebody had, you had, at minimum, you have to get a bad ball. There you go. At or, minimum, or, you have to get a Or make him throw the ball away or whatever. Uh, I mean, you're right. Yeah. You know, nothing positive should come out of that. <laughs> nothing. All right. You're either going to get there or they're going to bomb you over the top. It should, it should never be any in between. Yeah, they're going to get a man. They're going to get a man coverage opportunity somewhere in that secondary. They might get a wide open guy, but mm -hmm. at a minimum, they'll get a man. Um, what did you see out of Judon and McPhee in this game? Let's talk about them to start with. Uh, I saw a lot of energy. Well, Judon's normal energy, just not getting any results. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like he doesn't have a guy that can kind of take because the, he's they're scheming up for him now since he's mm -hmm. he's the lead dog. And he doesn't have a way to get off because there's nobody on the other other side to take the doubles away from him. And McPhee tries to do that. McPhee, to me, he brings good energy for his age. And, you know, with that, he got the one sack. And he he just doesn't need to play as many snaps. for Because he's kind of in that boat. Like, let's think about last year when, before Lamar was the starter. Suggs played a lot of snaps without a lot of production. And then once Lamar became the starter, they rested a lot. And then mm -hmm. his production went up. So that goes back to your to to my time possession, your your snap count. There you go. I'm all for that. And and McPhee, when he was at his best in 2014 with the Ravens and other times in his career, frankly, he's been a limited snap count guy. And in 2018 with Washington, uh, he he played very few total snaps the whole year. He's effective as a pass rusher, despite the fact he didn't get any sacks. He got eight quarterback hits last year. 
And he only played 200 roughly total snaps the whole year. And I don't think he played over 24 in a game it might have been. And this year, he's already been way up there in terms of snaps. Uh, you know, sometimes you get a little bit of discontinuity between whether you include penalties or not. But in this game, not including penalties, and there were a bunch of those. He had 38, so he might have had 45, including penalties, because there are about mm. nine penalties in this game. Last week against Cleveland, when everybody else at outside linebacker seemed to be in the penalty box, the Harbaugh's doghouse, he had 44 snaps, not including penalties again. You know, that's just way too much. He'll never make it through the season. Against Kansas wow. City, I think he was over 50. I'm going to wow. check this again. Uh, so it just... You know, you can't do this to the old men. I mean, you know, you and I can't go out and be asked to get that kind of 51 against uh, against Kansas City. So it's been a three-week stretch of, you know, a season's worth of work for Bruno McPhee. And, and that 51 in the Kansas City game was probably 75, 80% pass rush, which takes a ton out of you. Oh, yeah. You, you yeah. can play gap responsibilities in the run and use your energy but not use as much. But you rushing the passer 45, 40, 50 times, you, that's going to take a lot out of you. Yeah, it better be a high motor effort too, or you're gonna you're gonna end up on the sideline. Yeah, uh, I, I still have seen some of the good things from McPhee in terms of the ability to beat a double team. He's just he, the guy needs to play fewer snaps. They need to find some way, somebody else who might do that. You know, coming into this game, I looked at the inactives and I thought maybe there's a change they'll make because here was here was my logic. They activated five defensive linemen for the first time this year. Brought Zach Sealer off the practice squad. Activated him. Now, he hasn't done all that much, obviously, in his time, but they had Daylon Mack available to them, and they could have activated him because Williams coming back, if there was some still some persistence of whatever was wrong with him, and, and we've had some suspicion it might have been gout or hemorrhoids or some other thing that was not an injury but a pain situation is what was mentioned specifically. Those two would fit. But if, if there's any chance of that recovering, then you'd want Mack. You'd want the extra big body on the inside. But they didn't activate Mack. They activated Sealer, and I really thought what they might be trying to do is use him, use him standing up or even lining up with a hand down on the edge to try and take some of those edge rush snaps away from McPhee or, or uh, help supplement that. Trying to find uh, another pass rusher to, yeah. uh, like you said, to 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 just spread it out, to spread spread the snaps out. But um, you know, and Sealer and Max overrun stuffer, and with, with Williams being back, I don't see why you kind of need those guys. Mac in there, but it, that's only if, if Williams is not 100. percent But right. I just I don't understand the the, the singular thing unless they were uh, trying to get limited or trying to limit snaps for the other guys because they may just be fishing for straws trying to find a pass rush. So I, I see did. we signed a couple guys today, so they may just be fishing trying to find somebody to get after the quarterback. I, I've already missed that. I've been deep in the film all day, but it, it, they only got six snaps out of Sealer in this game. So I, and it, it's actually four after penalties. So it's not like he was in there a lot to take off snaps from anybody else. Ricard also played a much limited uh, a limited role, so did Wormley. So it was really just Pierce and Williams splitting most of the snaps, which still was okay in a game like this where they only had 51 total snaps. They had 34 each. So each of them played you know, that, manageable. That, that's, that's, that's about right for those two guys, unless, um, he's, unless Williams is having foot problems. But as for a healthy Williams and a healthy uh, Pierce... That, that sounds about right. Mm-hmm. All righty. All righty. So Bowser, big disappointment, played just 16 snaps in this one. He played less than Ferguson did. And I would have hoped 
that they would have tried to use Bowser's coverage ability to match up with Judon, even if they weren't going to use him as a pass rusher, just get a little more board variety, a little bit more optionality in their blitz packages on passing downs. But they really didn't play him that much. They didn't play Bowser very much at all. They did play him a, a fair amount when they moved McPhee inside, but they didn't play him otherwise with just Judon in, with two outside linebackers, two down linemen. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see Bowser on the move soon. He was the other guy that, that Harbaugh called out. Mm-hmm. So with, with if he doesn't produce um, in practice, I, I'd be willing to say by this time next week he may be gone, the way wow. we we're trying to find people. Simply right. because he was the other guy that, that Harbaugh called out. So well, I, don't know if he, I don't know if he's just, those are the two scapegoats for the lack <laughs> of pressure we're getting or what. But just simply because he called his name and he hasn't like stood out in any kind of way, he may be, you know, on that chopping block. All right. Well, fair enough. And I, I think you're right. It's it's a he's certainly very deep in the doghouse. I, I'm bothered by it because I want Bowser still to be a value to the Ravens next year when they may not have Judon. And mm-hmm. if they don't have Judon, not only are they going to need to draft a Sam, Sam linebacker very high because that's a position where you need a quality player and the and the size and shape pool and a more more liability pool is pretty limited because you want yeah. a coverage guy who can also rush the passer. I, I you know, there just aren't a lot of those. It probably means your first round pick is headed right there. Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't wanna I, I don't think the Ravens would like to play without a net and not have Bowser depend entirely on a rookie. So I'd rather have a fourth year Bowser playing for his contract year, you know, playing hard, hopefully producing and then uh, and then earning the Ravens a comp pick if if uh, they're done with him after that. Right. Uh, any any guy at, at, with that stature is almost as good as uh, a rookie, except so maybe like a freak, like a Miles Garrett type guy. But the average rookie, I'd rather have a experienced guy there that knows the system that's right. uh, you know been in that's that's been in the NFL and kind of knows what knows what is expected of him rather than a, than a fresh guy coming off. Okay, and is is that because the coverage responsibilities are, are more complicated than just to go get the pass rusher from the rush linebacker spot? No, I say that because simply in our system, it's complex. It's extremely complex. And if a guy like Earl has not picked it up completely or whenever he made that statement, mm-hmm. that, you know, what do you think about a rookie, you know, coming in and trying to – because we, if we bring a guy in for that reason, he's, he has to play right now. Because we're gonna be short. Like if 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 Bowser's gone, and like I said, and I think if Judon gets ten sacks, he's gonna be gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're probably right about that. Uh, the one one nice uh, piece of good news here was Ferguson. I thought I uh, only played 18 snaps again, and so far Ferguson for the year had just been terrible coming into the game. Okay, in one particular area that is not necessarily completely his fault. So, in, in, in although it's partly his fault, certainly hadn't done much before this game. And the opponents had rolled up 398 yards of offense on 25 snaps that he had. That's 15.9 yards per snap that he was in the game. Wow. This game, he was again the Ravens' worst at 9.2 yards per snap than he's in. By far the worst on the team. The second, next worst was 5.9, which is unusual. But Ferguson himself actually played very well in this game, I thought. Um, he's, he has that patented bull rush. And, you know, I made comments in the preseason. If he finds a way to have some counter moves, watch out. Mm-hmm. Well, not, not if. When he finds his counter moves, watch out. Because his, his bull rush is, 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 is pretty darn good. But when he finds a way to 
spin or go from power to speed or speed to power, that kid's going to be special. He's okay, going to so be special. Ferguson in this game, three pressures as I scored it. Um, I, I also had him for three really good edge-setting moves. So that had been a problem the first couple of games. But he twice set the edge well, and I gave time references in the article if you want to go back and look at that. And he also drew an offensive holding call uh, on the right tackle, and that was at the second play of quarter four. So that's a that's a batch of contributions for only 18 non-penalty snaps that he played uh, to do that much. And he, in fact, had a play, had in, had some involvement in each of the two overtime plays, including a pressure on the on what was a, eventually the forced fumble. Mm-hmm. So uh, the, the previous play, there was a, a run for three where he had a good edge set. So uh, solid game from Ferguson. Very happy. Looking forward to a step forward. Frankly, the, the Ravens' draft picks this year have not been looking that great, you know, all, all the way down. But uh, but a, a step forward out of Ferguson is a good thing. As far as uh, him setting the edge, for, for those that, that don't know how important that is, if an uh, outside linebacker or defensive end type guy can set the edge, that means he turns the run back into the linebackers. And if they're filling their gaps and their run fits like they should, that means they're probably going to be tackled unless the running back makes a missed tackle. So, you know, setting the edge is a huge, huge, huge thing on defensive football because you don't want guys to get outside. You don't want guys to get to your cornerbacks and have, have them to have to make tackles. So setting the edge and, and pushing the play back to your linebackers and other D linemen is, is a huge thing in, in, in football, period. Coach, let me ask you this. Somebody who has a great bull rush like Ferguson, you know, is really known for that, shouldn't he naturally have some edge-setting advantages because of his ability to get a low pad level and push? Yes. He, um, with him, if, if, say example, he's on the right side. With him bull rushing with that, mostly with that, that right arm and keeping, I'm sorry, with that left arm and keeping the right arm free, he can set the edge on just about anybody. When he's going to give that edge up is when he goes full body into the guy. So as long as he's half man with his left arm and keeping his right arm free, he can get away and make sure he turns stuff back in. And, and as far as his bull rush going with that, if he can just blow guys up, if he can blow guys up and stop stop the running back before they get started, that's the ultimate sage Or edge set, I'm sorry. It's the hardest to do. But it, when you do that, it's the easiest because now the running back has to stop, then restart. Mm-hmm. And by then, the rest of the cavalry should be there. Yeah, there you go. Okay, so we've we've had the luxury of the best edge setter of his generation here for many years in Terrell Suggs, obviously. So almost everybody is going to be compared to him and, and come up lacking. Mm-hmm. But what did you? What could you point to from Suggs? There's one particular thing I, I definitely want to get out if you don't have it. But give me a particular move that you liked that Suggs could do that you wouldn't normally see from other players in terms of setting that edge, and maybe how it would apply specifically to the AFC North where there's a lot of power football run. See, Suggs had a um, what I call a euro step. It's like it's like a basketball move where he would come off and he would kind of foot fire the guy. Step step inside the lineman would like kind of inside set the pressing and he'd go outside and he'd either miss completely or get the guy off, off balance. And with that being said, if they tried some kind of outside run, they'd run right into him. Mm-hmm. So it looked like he's going inside, set you know, setting the lineman up and the whoever's running the ball. Next thing you know, he's outside with the edge set and hopefully with with the cavalry coming. Okay, so he creates that bubble, that that running back's moving outside left on his side, mm-hmm. assuming he's setting up on the 
at right defensive end, mm -hmm. right right outside linebacker. Yeah, I love that. The other thing I loved in terms of power football in the AFC North, one of the things we saw from Suggs a lot is he knew exactly when to go low to cut one or even two defenders, sorry, two offensive players, to, to create that opportunity on his side. So is he- Like pullers? Yeah, pullers, for example. Mm -hmm. So you get the right guard pulling, and maybe the right tight end is also pulling, or maybe mm -hmm. it's the fullback. And, and he's got to take two guys out by going low. You get the first guy low, the second guy trips over that, and all of a sudden that running back has some huge pile of mess to, to avoid in, in making his run. So, so what he used to do, and in football terms, we call it wrong shoulder. So when, the, when he sees pullers coming, take his outside shoulder, which normally which would be the free shoulder, to set the edge and throw that shoulder into him. And that way you're making the spiel to the linebackers. And if, if, they, if you get under one, and you get the second one to kind of fall over, you create a pile, which helps everybody. What the 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 move you speak of is the the perfect storm to that technique. It's, it's a bunch of things that can happen because really just trying to spill it for his linebackers. But if you can get if you can create a pile and, and not a hole for the running back to go through, that's that's the perfect storm to what it is. And he did do it a lot. So he probably, you know, kind of mastered it a little bit and just throwing that shoulder because I don't think technically you can cut, but if you get inside and fall. It's not good. <laughs> oh, meaning it's not legal for the for the defensive lineman I, to I do know, it? I know on our level, it's not legal for the defensive lineman to do it. On, I know on a high school level, it's not legal. Because, like, if if, guys, if if you get a guard pulling and the defensive end just go low, that's a flag on the defense. It's the referee's catcher. Now, I don't know about the NFL. But uh -huh. I know on our level, it's illegal. I'm not I'm not aware that's a flag at the NFL level, but I understand. And they changed the chop blocking rules a few years ago to – give the defense more protection on the high-low blocks by the by the men who are next to each other. So they did change mm -hmm. that. But in terms of, of the crackback blocks, this is within the tackle box. So this isn't like blocking back towards the line of scrimmage from outside the tackle, which is, is protected. So I think, I, I believe you can do it, but somebody who knows more about the rules can can hit us up with a correction on that. Please send it to the Pound Sign Film Study Mailbag. Hashtag Phil Something Mailbag. We'll make sure we get it on next week. All right. Pierce, uh, you know, is a guy they've been depending on to get some some pressure from the inside. He had a, a costly roughing the passer foul in this game. Obviously, it negated a pass defense, a near interception by Humphrey on that right sideline. Uh, he might have had one pressure in the game, but it, it certainly was not a pressure of a game of, of any particular pressure from the inside. Yeah, and um, that was it was a it was a costly time for him. And I, I know he's he's because he, he almost got to the quarterback, almost got to the quarterback, almost got to the quarterback. And when you finally get there, you just got to be disciplined enough to lay off. Yeah, you got to be in this NFL. You got to be disciplined enough to lay off. And it was just it was it was a fairly ticky tack thing, but they're very they're very conscientious about any kind of contact to the head. It didn't look like a hard strike to the helmet, mm -hmm. but he touched him on the helmet, no doubt about it. And you know they're going to call it. Who who got the penalty on uh, Earl's interception? Earl's interception. Okay, hold on. Let me go back to that. So, let's see. That would be on this sheet here. Negated. There was a defensive hold by Kennedy. Oh, is that the play Jefferson got hurt on? Yes, that's the one that Jefferson that's got hurt Jefferson on, got where hurt he fell on. into the, the guy. The call was on Jefferson. That's what it was. That's what it was. The call was on Jefferson. Fair enough. You're right. Defensive hold on Jefferson is the one. That's that's the second and sixth play and second drive of Q4. Okay. That yeah. Because I, I what I I noticed was as much as I talked about Earl looking unathletic, 
He looked like the old Earl with that ball in his hand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was exciting. I think he's he's moved to the ball pretty well. I thought he played very well. We talked about the cornerbacks a little bit. I was going to bring up Thomas later in individual performances, but I thought he did a good job of meshing with those corners. Uh, they didn't have a ton of bracket coverage, but they did have places where Thomas was clearly moving to the football, and I, I, I haven't seen yet from the All-22 how he might have been impacting throws by doing that. Right. But I, I think he had a pretty darn good game. Yep. I think maybe his best, maybe his best as Raven so far. Yeah. What, what did you think about the penalty itself? I mean, obviously, we've got to talk about that at some point. But if you, I, I've seen, what I seem to see from Steelers fans is that they present still images of the helmet planted on Rudolph's chin, which is not the way that play developed. Right. I, I think I think Earl made a conscious effort to turn his body and get his shoulder like chest level. Now he can't control the fact that maybe the quarterback. Well, obviously he can't control the fact the guy got hit from the back too. Mm-hmm. That's the key factor. Even though Earl got a, a a hard blow, he got hit from the back too. So you, he can't control that right there. All he can do is. Get the strike zone that he knows, which he did, and with the guy getting hit from the back, that put his head in an awkward position. Mm-hmm. And who 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 knows if it's not the whiplash that knocked him out and not necessarily the hit? Right, I'm, both ends. You mean either the either the whiplash going back and forth or the hitting the ground with his helmet? That too. Well, yeah, uh, he was out before he hit the ground. Yeah, that, you're that, right. That probably was um, that, that may have hurt too, but. He had the pointy <laughs> fingers before he hit the ground. <laughs> he, that, guy, that kid was out instantly. All right. Well, anyway, I, I think w- when you look at the thing full speed, I think you see Thomas turning his helmet also. So mm-hmm. you don't you don't ever, if, if you lead with the crown of the helmet, well, you deserve everything you get in terms of suspensions and fines. Right. But, but Thomas clearly, t- to my mind, turned his head and moved his head slightly to the right in a way that clearly is not you know, was not trying to do any harm. And no matter what the Steelers fans I've seen online are talking about how uh, his intent doesn't matter, he still knocked out our quarterback with a with a direct hit to the helmet. He's got to be suspended, blah, 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 blah. Well, intent obviously matters to the league. Yes, it, it, it matters. And I don't think Thomas is a guy, and, and obviously we don't really know because he came from Seattle, but I don't believe he has any kind of long history of being a headhunter in this league. So We obviously know intent is important. But just look at Burford. Mm-hmm. Look at what they're doing to Burford. Yeah, intent matters in the NFL. I mean, even if you don't necessarily strike the 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 right part, I mean the wrong parts rather, what you maliciously do matters to the brand, and, and that's sure. why that guy got, you know got. I think he got a whole year. I, uh, I'm not even sure is whole year or is it, or is he indefinite? I'm not even sure. But anyway, you, you're probably right. Would you ever let Vontez Perfect back into the league? I would not at this point. Yeah, and I'm not. I'm not and I'm not all. I'm not all for taking people's livelihood because that's probably all he knows how to do mm-hmm. like professionally and, and that's no shade but he's going he's hurting other people mm-hmm. he's costing other people their their situation i remember a couple years ago i think he hurt antonio brown and ben, ben roethlisberger or Le'Veon. he hurt two of the, the three b's mm-hmm. uh, himself so no, he's, he's causing other people uh their livelihood Maybe a more pertinent question is this, Coach. Would you want him as an assistant coach for you? If you're the head coach of a, of a team, high school or college level. Would you want Vontez Perfect as an assistant coach, given his history? It'll have to be the NFL. It, have, it would have to be the NFL where he can't 
necessarily bully, not bully, not the word, but he can't intimidate kids based off his history. Because the, mm-hmm. the guys in the NFL are not going to take that. So it, it but, in, and if I was an NFL coach, I'd say no, because I know there's other people out there that's more professional. Mm-hmm. But the only place I could see him coaching, and he may not even been coached, because yes, you can play on me, you can coach. You still got to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. Teachers are the best coaches, in my opinion. So if he can't teach the game, teaching and playing is two different things. And All right. I just, so I would say no. They ask the question, no, I, would, I wouldn't want him on my staff. All right, that's a pretty, pretty severe indictment, but I think you're right. It's the NFL or nowhere for him. Uh, be interesting to see where he ends up in, in life after this in terms of getting things here. He's made a lot of money. I'm sure he'll be fine, but uh, hopefully he's saved it and, and still has it. Right. A lot of changes at inside linebacker for the Ravens in this game, and I, I want to kind of go through them, and then let's talk a little bit about what it means for the defense in general going forward. But they moved the green dot uh, originally from Owasso to Jefferson, a lot of value coming from that in terms of the ability to substitute for Owasso, who has not played well. You know, everybody loves Peanut. Mm-hmm. We, we, we're fond of him. He's a high-energy player. He had a good year last year as a, as a 42% player in the, in the Will Linebacker platoon. But, uh, frankly, he's played like crap this year. I just, mm-hmm. I, just to call it straight up, he's, he's missed a bunch of tackles. His missed tackle on the sack set up the whole Thomas roughing the passer call that eventually got made. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if he did, if he just taken that down, that would have been the end of, end of that drive. And they would have, uh, uh, you know, not had any further problems occurring from, from that. I, I bet Rudolph would have much preferred to be sacked there <laughs> than, uh, than what happened. Right. Uh, but, but anyway, he's missed, he's missed a bunch of tackles this year and that's not, a, that's not okay for linebackers. Linebackers, you've got to make most of your tackles and, and what percentage you make is, is one of the critical stats for an inside linebacker. All right. And I said it in, um, I don't know who I was talking to online, but I said Peanut is a great Robin, but he's not ready to be Batman. He's, he was a great Robin last year. He just, he just can't, he's not ready to be the guy. Yeah. So in, in my opinion, we have to find a guy. And um, I think we picked up an inside linebacker. Don't quote me on that. Because I saw it right before we, you called. I was just scrolling. And I saw it. Um, not Bynes or Ford. Bynes or Ford. Not, no, two, two other guys. Not Bynes or Ford. Yeah, not two, two other guys. Yeah. But it was, Josh, it was, can um, you look that up for us? Yeah, I'll find it and have an answer for you by the mailbag. I appreciate that. Um, and I saw Kenny Young was inactive, which he was one of my favorite favorite guys because of his activity. But um, Peanut's just not – he's not a mite. You know, you, you mentioned the point about Peanut not being ready to be Batman. Mm-hmm. One of the problems is for Young to be Robin, he needs the right Batman in there. So he's a Will linebacker, and I loved him last year in terms of shooting gaps in the run game, but he needed a really disciplined players behind him. And you start with Mosley and how important he was to this team, and obviously the team can cover a lot of sins with what Mosley can do in terms of discipline gap play behind some gap shooting, chance taking by Young. So his value in, within that thing. But the other guy now that's missing is Jefferson. I yep. mean, he made up for all kinds of gap gap mistakes that could get made. Yep, he did. He and he can't cover. He can't play the position he played last year and the position he played and the position he's playing now. He has to find. He can't be that shoot the gap guy at Mike. And mm-hmm. the perfect example is the long run by um, Cleveland uh, two weeks ago. I, I, and I broke those two plays down. The first time they ran that exact same play, they got 17 yards. 
the second time they ran it, and I'm sure Peanut recognized, you know, formation and what happened last time. So he shot straight to the outside, which left, you know, two uh, two pullers to block nobody, and mm-hmm. that's, which is the the, the whole chub hit for for 88 yards. And you just can't overplay that. And Mike, you got to be one gap behind the line, one gap behind the running back. And when then when the running back presses the hole, you have to be there. You yep. can't so overrun the stuff. You scrape, scrape, scrape. Mm-hmm. Avoid that right tackle. Hopefully it's through ceiling, and then and, and then you 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 get there. Yep. Overrun it because when you when I, when I paused it, he was on the edge, and Tony was running the alley. So basically, he was trying to do Tony's job before Tony could get there and left his his hole his gap wide open. Ugly play, certainly. A lot of things went wrong against Cleveland and against Kansas City in terms of not getting the edge set properly, over-pursuit on the edge. Bowser on the 88-yard run also had a bad play mm-hmm. uh, on that. So it was a combination of things. But you're right. I mean, it was two guys pulling to nothing. And if if you have an 88-yard run, I expect your two pullers each made a good block to help set that up. Well, that wasn't really the case in Cleveland. Right. They didn't touch any- One of them didn't touch anybody. Yeah. So <laughs> a weird situation. So. Um, all right, let's keep going back to the inside linebacker block because I want to talk a little bit about more. They acquired Bynes, of course. He's a pure two-down thumper, but I really love the fact that he was there to make a play when one was available. Exactly, exactly. He was where he needed to be, uh, co- basically covering who he should, the area he should cover, and the ball found him. Yeah, a lot of trouble with the inside linebackers getting to that spot in space where the intended receiver is going to be, the running back. And I, that's one of the problems I have with Owasso is he's very slow to recognize and diagnose the play, whether it's uh, a screen pass or whether it's just a uh, a little out to the flat to a running back where he needs to be the first guy there to make a quick tackle. Yak all over the rest of the field, we talked about it already with the cornerbacks, is being minimized. But Yak to the running backs, which is going to be higher normally, so I understand that, mm-hmm. is it, it, we're having a terrible Right. Terrible positioning on those backs to, to get them stopped. They're, they're out leveraging us. They're out leveraging us. But, like, if they run a little flat route, we're nowhere in the picture when they catch the ball, and then that, that yak is turning into what, especially we're in man coverage. Yeah, up the sideline. out leveraging us. Yep. The thing is, they have to take away the space. When If, they, if they're covering the back, they got to close the gap on that running back soon and give him a one-way go. Now, he may catch the out, but be right there to tackle him. Right. But no way, shape, or form should you let him get back in the middle of the field, like on a check route or, or anything like that. You got to basically turn your body, give him one way to go, and then try to chase that one way down. So zone coverage would help against those kind of passes because mm-hmm. you're keeping more eyes on the quarterback back to the line of scrimmage. Man coverage hurts, as you pointed out before, because your guys downfield may be getting the hook. And I, mm-hmm. I remember one guy on the right sideline really got the hook in this play. It might have been Bynes down the right sideline on a shorter pass allowed a lot of yak trailing him immediately. Might have been a lot of yak, might have been a run, but I don't remember if you remember the place. Up the right sideline. Okay, it doesn't matter. But anyway, the point is well made about, you know, you're, you're, if, if you got zone coverage, you got eyes back to the mm-hmm. back to that running back. If you, But the Ravens had trouble playing zone. They've man, obviously man. had trouble playing man with the running backs and stopping them. The problem with our zone is we're not getting any pressure. Mm-hmm. Well, that's probably man too, so. <laughs> it's probable. <laughs> all right. In terms of inside linebacker, we haven't completely talked about all the changes they've made, and they've still made more, as we'll, we'll get from Josh in a minute. But Elliott, three more non-traditional dime snaps against Pittsburgh. He had nine the week before against Cleveland. And I thought, you know, when you put a guy in and it's a lot of first and second downs, 
instead of the third and ten, third and eight kind of situations where you would normally have Levine in the game anyway. You're 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 trying him out. You're sure you're trying him out to see if he'll be the dime in the future. But more importantly, I think you're trying him out to see if you might want to play quarter because this right. the, the 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 team has been so bad in terms of the linebackers putting a putting a seventh defensive back on the field makes an awful lot of sense right now. Yeah, they 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 like I said they're trying different guys. They're trying to find a great combination, especially with the way the NFL is now. Most teams with the at minimum have a we have three receivers. Mm-hmm. So you're trying to get a more athletic guy to play linebacker, one that can kind of do both, which is what Peanut did last year. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's and I think uh, Elliott is going to get a, a huge opportunity to show what he can do. Yeah, he should, he should at a minimum be the big nickel going forward. The Ravens have played a fair amount of big nickel so far this year. So they, they want to get Carr some snaps off. See, actually, usually it ends up being Carr and Humphrey in there, so it would it'd probably be Kennedy who would get the snaps off. But if Elliott uh, goes in to play big nickel, you know, Clark probably had 50 snaps or something on the year in that before he moved now to strong safety where he presumably play the rest of the plays. One thing I want to talk to you about the rest of this, though, if you have anything to say about that, I'm sorry, about the big nickel, we'll go ahead. No, you go ahead. You go ahead. Okay. Point is, who do you give the green dot to now? I think you got to give it back to Peanut. I don't, okay, think Bynes, I don't think Bynes has been there long enough. I'm not sure how much Earl knows of the system yet. Uh, I don't. I, I say peanut. To me, I think it's, it's peanut. Okay, I got eliminations on all three of those guys. Earl, for the reason you mentioned, but he's also a free safety. So because he plays one of the most deep free safeties in the whole league, communicating with those players in the middle of the field is going to be harder. The Ravens have usually wanted it to be one of those two linebacker spots and, and almost always the Mike spot. But they made the move to Peanut, or sorry, to Jefferson consciously because they understood their weaknesses at inside linebacker. Mm-hmm. The word on Clark is that he's the smartest guy in the DB room. And that is very promising in terms of him being the signal caller from my point of view. I think it's the obvious choice, and I think that they they can make it so that those inside linebackers, they have the maximum flexibility in substituting for them. So I hope that's where they go. But uh, but it's not it won't not a sure thing, but that's where I hope it'll go. If if that's the case, does doesn't that mean Clark has to play a ton of reps? Has to play every snap. He's exactly. a strong safety, he's placed mm-hmm. to play every snap. And does that not limit Elliott's snaps unless they put him at linebacker? No, I think, yeah, I think that what the two places Elliott will play are one as big nickel. So they'll play a, they'll play the nickel with, with instead of a third corner, they play a third safety and play him on the slot receiver, which they played a lot of already this year. So they've got that. And then the other thing is they can bring him in and play, play the quarter as the fourth safety in a seven DB alignment with him and Levine on the inside, which I love. I absolutely love. By the way, the Ravens twice in their history have gone to a lot of quarter. In 1996, with Ray Lewis as a rookie, they played 116 snaps of quarter. Mm-hmm. And Ray Lewis was off the field. On, and he only played about two-thirds of the snaps the entire year. So a lot of people don't realize this, but I've got some interesting photos from that era of Ray Lewis sitting on the sideline watching a third and four play happen. So it's not exactly <laughs> what we think of. The other time that they did it was in 2000. I, and, and Lewis didn't come off the field then. Then they played a, a 31 quarter where Lewis was still on the field, but he was more like a roving pass rusher on those mm-hmm. plays. And they used seven defensive backs for 62 snaps that year, including seven times in the Super Bowl. And even though Ray played every snap effectively the entire year, he came out a couple times in blowouts. But they uh, they they used that seven DB formation. And a lot of people don't remember that it was Bailey and Trapp and Harris 
who contributed so much to that defense in terms of high leverage downs. Anyway, mm-hmm. my soapbox, but I love the quarter. <laughs> you had great uh, people up front, too. Yeah. You got, you got a pass rush with four. With, you can get it with four guys back then. Yeah. Yeah, that was exciting. Unfortunately, I watched the Steelers play this game, but we're, we're not talking offense tonight, but that was a very effective four-man pass rush against the Ravens, and they did not do much more than that. Right. I agree 100%. Those guys got after it. All right, we'll go through quickly a little bit on defensive packages in this game. Uh, they used the dime package for 17 snaps. We talked a little bit about it. 15 of those were Levine, three, plus only two of them counted for real because there was a penalty, were Elliott in a non-traditional down and distance. So that was their dime package. Uh, 29 snaps of nickel. 26 of that was the standard three-corner uh, nickel with a uh, two-four-five. But in this case, they used a jumbo 335 on three occasions. And it was interesting. We had a really nice question come up for the mailbag. Great question of could the Ravens set the edge better if they played more 335 nickel as opposed to, which means you only have one inside linebacker, of course, mm-hmm. as opposed to playing the normal 245 nickel where they only have two down linemen and get the wider spread, give their outside guys a better chance to get matched up against a tight end, for example, at least on one side. And, and be able to turn that inside. And we, we did a short episode on it. We're going to do this whenever anybody comes up with a great question for the mailbag. We'll do a whole short episode on it if it's worth it. I'll do it with you directly. Uh, and uh, love to have your questions come in on this. But I'd love to hear your your thoughts on that, Coach, in terms of when you play three three five, what you give up and what you might gain in terms of edge setting. Um, when you when you play that, you can have different guys at the edge, which is is... is always a plus defensively because you keep the tackles uh, not necessarily guessing, but having being in, in react mode. So they don't have a set guy. They know they're trying to trying to block. Uh, definitely when they're trying to get outside, they get got to play it off the, the stunt. Cause one, normally they're stacked. Normally they're stacked when they're like that. Or if one walks outside, but you got to play the defensive end off the linebacker. So if you're, if your responsibility is, is hooking a guy, if that defensive end goes inside of you, now your eyes got to go to the linebacker. And if they go too late, the linebacker may be gone. And then, okay, so now, I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. And then now right. if, you're, if you're looking, you know, if you start looking at the linebacker and he shoots inside and the defensive end goes outside, you, you're gone again. So it puts the, the tackles in more of a react mode for me. But it, it's also um, easier to get vertical push against the 335 because you only got three down guys right there. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's positive and negative. But, you know, for us, you know, trying something different may work, may work. But it, we, we we would give up vertical push because of we take we have to take Pierce or Williams out. Can't play both of them at the same time in that in that look. And then um, you put I think that's would would give Elliott a better opportunity to play. Sorry, like an outside I, I, guy. I don't think we have the right the right thing here. So the three three five as I'm talking about, you would have both Pierce and Williams and one other defensive lineman plus two outside linebackers. So, so you you're basically having them walking up. So I have it's a, gonna look like a fifty look. It's gonna look like five five men at the line of scrimmage. Yeah, okay, okay. Well, five, I, I, five I was five. thinking about the stack. I'm sorry. Okay, no, no problem. So five guys at the line of scrimmage. Then you only have one inside linebacker, which is the weakness of the defense, and then you have your standard nickel behind that. Okay, so with with that being said, you you should have all your run fits. Run running the ball shouldn't happen versus Baltimore. Now you're susceptible to guys once if they you know get past that initial mm-hmm. surge, uh, they only got one linebacker to beat, and then they're in the secondary. But your run fits should should work um, tremendously with that look because it, it's tough. You know, you, it's basically man on man blocking. There's gonna be no double teams. 
going to be no double teams unless you add, you know, unless you add people to the box, tight end, fullback, things like that. But um, if you if you're a spread team, it's going to be man on man blocking, trying to trying to block Williams and Pierce. That that's going to be that'll be good for us. Right. That would be good for us. But our DBs is going to have to be a one too. Right. And we should so, be able to get pressure with that too. You you got you got two. I got a couple of thoughts on that. The first is that. I'm not sure I trust our inside linebackers currently and not peanut playing alone in that situation to have the gap discipline to react properly to the, to wherever that, that hole is exploited. Cause there's still the opportunity to, to, for a patient back to pick his hole and, and perhaps get a, get a seam there. The second is that, um, you know, you, you got to then have a safety. Also, you trust a guy at strong safety, and they probably had that with Jefferson, but I don't think they have that now. I think they're they're going to be more concerned about that in terms of having that guy be the 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 last line of defense, so to speak. If, right. if you're if you get a breakthrough, they um, I'm thinking Earl may play a little more strong, but I, I really was, didn't understand why he was in the box as much as he was because he's tr- traditionally mm-hmm. been a deep guy. So um, you know. If they're if he's been in and out of the box, he may play a little more strong and, and let Clark kind of roam a little bit. If Clark's going to be that guy, that that green dot guy, that would completely change the dynamic there. Because I mean, if you're going to whoever's the strong safety in my mind should probably have the dot because because that guy's going to be playing closer to the line of scrimmage mm-hmm. more often and it's going to be easier for him to make the call. But it would completely change the dynamic. I think almost if I had to guess, I'd say it makes it more likely that we'll see Clark have the overwhelming portion of box responsibilities if he's mm-hmm. calling signals. Mm-hmm. Just because, yeah, just I, I go the other way, just because I think you, you have to be close to the line of scrimmage to make those calls. The only reason I say that because of I think back to what Wink was doing with Weddle, having yeah. him in the box, having him out the box, having him, you know, almost like at an outside linebacker, but then next thing you know, he, he covering deep middle. Mm-hmm. I just, I, the reason I say that because of the, the disguises Wink like to do, but even though, you know, I say a strong safety, I just meant like in the box more and still trying to be the disguise type guy. Because Wink does a good job of disguising stuff, especially when you got high IQ guys that can do it. All right. All right. Now, Weddle, of course, had the green dot when that was happening. Mm-hmm. Right. So, all righty. Um, okay. A couple snaps of base, including the interception by Bynes. Also, that 14 yard pass to McDonald, which set up the touchdown. They played two snaps of jumbo. The one I want to focus on was they, they they stopped that second and one play for a loss of five when they they ran a five a wildcat mm-hmm. with seven offensive linemen and they ran left for minus five out of that wild card. It was Humphrey made a great play on that. Humphrey made great plays in the passing game all day, but Humphrey made a couple of great plays. One on a short pass and one on a run mm-hmm. uh, on this on this wildcat play. Humphrey didn't make the tackle there, but he did. He he set it up for whoever came second. I'm, I'm forgetting who that was who who ended up finishing it off. Is that the play where he the, the guy reverse field and Humphrey's end up shooting between two people? Yeah, kind of, kind of maybe tripping him a little bit for somebody else. That's right on yeah, the, on the left sideline. Mm-hmm. That was that was a great play. Great play. Great instincts because he really just had to sacrifice his body because he he dove between two guys and they so, they just happened not to touch him. Aren't we at a point in Humphrey's career where somebody should be talking to him about playing? And probably Brandon Carr is the guy because nobody has maintained durability like Brandon Carr. And a lot of it is Carr being really careful with physical contact. Somebody should be having a talking to him about, yeah. hey, you're the most valuable cornerback in this league or one of the most valuable. Don't mess it up by getting hurt. Right. Uh, I think Gurley said it best um, last year. Your best um, 
uh, available. I'm sorry, your best something is available is the NFL, and then Carr amplifies that. All right. Uh, individual performances. You want you want to talk about anybody specifically? Um, no, I'll let you let you have it on that one. Okay, so we talked about McPhee a little bit earlier. Uh, I, I think Levine is a guy who uh, he's came back to Pittsburgh last year in Pittsburgh. He had the greatest game ever by a Ravens dime. Shut down three consecutive drives in the fourth quarter with game, sorry, drive-ending plays. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this week, this uh, yeah week, he drew a holding call, which it ended up the Ravens could decline it, but it would have been the 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 safety net they needed. And that was on the third and seventeen play on the first drive of Q four for the uh, for the Steelers, and then. Later on, the last not the la- not quite the last drive because they knelt, but the but the drive where they had to stop him, uh, they, he he stopped him on a pass left for minus two by making a great tackle uh, with with no yak. So that was the kind of thing we we might have hoped that Peanut would do during the game normally, but Levine was in there. And the nice thing about the Ravens' dime is they turn what is a very poor inside linebacker defense into a very credible one with him in the ball game. Mm-hmm. He ch- he changes the dynamics of the defense in there, being able to be a hybrid, so to speak. Okay, we talked a little bit about Kennedy earlier. Anything maybe to say more to say about him? I, I, I had a whole bunch of things, but I feel like I covered it a lot in terms of what he did to keep players in front of him with zero yak and also just overlapping coverage circle. Kind I'm, of just, I'm just really impressed with um, his ability to step up when his number was called. You know, he's a guy that I, you know, I felt was just a special teams guy and barely made the 53. Mm-hmm. And now he's getting a shot to play and he, he's balling. Yeah, he's he actually on the practice squad at the beginning of the year, so they called him up. They are so lucky. No mm-hmm. other team found him first, needed him first before that. I guess they're not lucky that no other team needed him first because they'd rather not have Jimmy Smith injured really early in the year. But it was right. it, it was nice to have him. And Earl Thomas, we talked a little bit about. I had him on my list as somebody to, to, to talk about. Anything else about Earl that we, we haven't talked about in terms of how he might be affecting other quarterbacks? I just I just think he's he's learning more on the, of the defense. And he's getting healthier week by week. Because so I really don't think he's 100% yet. But I think I think he's close. I think he's getting close. Now, we haven't talked to you since that Browns game. Do you get on him at all for uh, letting up on the 88-yard yard by Chubb? No. But I get on him for admitting to it. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't, I don't. don't get on him for, like, oh, he gone. Which, obviously, when, when a gust of wind go by, you know if you can catch him or not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the fact that you came out and and the reasoning, I I had a problem with that. I just simply say I, I wouldn't have called him. To me, is there is there some are there some questions about judgment? I mean, I I, I Thomas I thought was statesmanlike in his in his discussion about Rudolph. I don't think there was anything about him that certainly if you're a Ravens fan that you would take the wrong way. And there was nothing about his demeanor on the field that was that was bad, but. You know, he's he had obviously a judgment issue, middle middle fingering his way out of Seattle. That that was a problem. Um, you know, he he got into it with Brandon Williams a little bit. Now maybe maybe that's him being a leader in the way he can be a leader, or maybe that's a little bit of questionable judgment in terms of what the locker room dynamic is here. It's trying to find his way. He he was the he was the guy in, in um in Seattle. And now he's coming to a locker room where technically he didn't have to be the guy. We lost some guy. We lost three real good guys, but you, you know you're a new guy coming into a new situation, and you you don't have to be the guy. You got to feel it out. You got to work your way. You got to build relationships, and I think that's that's all what's going on, because you know as as adults, him and and Brandon probably had whatever words they had, 
And, you know, if they found saw some points in each other's argument, you know, hashed it out and went on about, about, about their business. And that's just him trying to build relationships and find ways to to motivate guys and see who he can push and who he can not who he can't push. I don't think he's a leader yet, but I think he's trying to like build those relationships to be the leader. So when it's time to hey say hey let's go, they look they follow. Because mm-hmm. that, that that don't happen as soon as you walk in a room unless yeah, you make been, Tom Brady. Yeah, so, some of the questions have come up so far about nobody really jumping into the middle of the huddle pregame to you know give whatever speech Ravens on three yada yada. Uh, that is a little concerning because the Ravens certainly have not had any problem with leadership at any point in their history mm-hmm. with Ray here, with Suggs here, with, uh, you know, lots of other defensive leaders available. Right. And I, I've seen a couple of times it's been this year has been yonder. Mm-hmm. Been yonder, been given the whatever the rah-rah is, you know, pre, pregame, and which surprised me because I, I never heard him speak. Yeah, <laughs> he's a very quiet guy at the podium, that's for sure. Always uh, uh, talking in a low voice, but he. Had a terrible game, by the way. Uh, not up to Yonda standards at all in this one, but, uh, but we just got finished scoring it before the before the game. But we'll be talking about that tomorrow night. Okay. Uh, anything else? Individual players you want to hit on before we move on to the mailbag? No, nah, just the the overall great play of Marlon. The one okay. the, and the one mistake I thought he had was um, not securing the tackle before the punch. But then he mm-hmm. kind of turned around and did it again. Same, you know, mental technique and got it out and won the game for us there you go there you go just outstanding player josh what do you got for us in the mailbag and first of all do you have those yeah before we get to the mailbag let's talk about one more guy jihad ward Mm -hmm. the former colts defensive lineman that the ravens picked to sign this evening okay defensive lineman defensive lineman Mm -hmm. he was the 2016 second round pick for the uh I don't think for the Colts, for the Raiders in 2016. Played three games for the Colts this season, and then they waived him after week three. Okay. I think the, the second guy I mentioned was somebody from our practice squad got picked up. That's yeah. what, that's what, that was that second guy I think I saw. Somebody from our practice squad maybe got oh, picked up. Somebody. Okay. But the guy we signed was is the guy Josh spoke of. Okay, so he's a, he's a defensive interior player. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Second round draft pick in 2016 by the Raiders. That doesn't mean anything then. Okay. <laughs> that means it was high. Yes, it was, it was overdone. I noticed that uh, I, Cleland Farrell, who's the number four overall pick this year, and, and to everybody's thought, was way overdrafted. They could have they could dropped 10 spots and still got him easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and supposedly they tried to trade the pick, but he's, he's a healthy scratch for the last game for the Raiders, which is really awful. And then Josh Jacobs in turn gets 100 yards. <laughs> it's crazy. Right. They did yeah. win that game. So anyway. Let's get to the mailbag. This is your question. As listeners to steer the show using the hashtag film study mailbag or going over to filmstudybaltimore.com and commenting in there. Uh, a lot of your questions. Sometimes Ken will jump on if it's in between shows and answer you right on Twitter. But if we have a chance, it's much better, and we can get a much more thorough answer on the show. So get your questions in using the hashtag Film Study Mailbag. First one up is going to be from Brad, who's saying, given the Ravens' pass rush woes, do you think they would be better served sending fewer rushers and dropping more into coverage, and maybe teams would be able to wouldn't be able to dink and dunk, or they would be, but perhaps the Ravens could eliminate more chunk plays that way. 
I, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a shot at this, coach, and I really want to hear your thoughts as well. But I, I'm gonna start by saying that I don't think there's a team that's that has a weak pass rush like the Ravens. They can't go at it any one way. So you can't go with four men every time if your four guys are completely impotent. You have to mix it up. And that's why the Ravens had to mix it up to get some modicum of pressure in this last game, even though it wasn't much. Uh, I, I don't think you can just rush four when your four aren't very good and let the quarterback sit there back there and eat a sandwich and pick you apart, even if you've got seven guys in coverage. I agree with you. You can't insult the other team's intelligence by just dropping, by dropping eight all the time or just dropping seven all the time. You have to realize that it may work to start off with, but those guys are professionals also. They're going to find a way to, like you said, eat a sandwich and then deliver the ball to where it needs to be. All NFL quarterbacks can do that. Don't don't get it twisted. If you, you've run the same coverage or some similar coverages all game, every NFL quarterback will pick you apart. So you got to mix it up. All right. Uh, one more question. Still digging into that pass rush. Um, the, the Ravens, well, the Ravens are in first place. But they're still, uh, we were, they were saying during the broadcast that the Ravens are the one of the busiest clubs on the phone looking about trade options. So JD is wondering if a trade is a solution to the pass rush issues. And I guess follow you up. I guess the follow up would be is if you were going to make a trade for the defense. We heard all the talk about Ramsey. Is pass rush suddenly the biggest need? You can start coach or I will. Um, I think well, to, to, to answer the second question first, to me, pass rush is the biggest need. And I did hear that comment by saying that um, that we're going we're going to be active around the trade deadline. But I just I don't personally don't know who's out there, you know, that's going to be reasonable as because I know we don't want to give up a lot of picks because I know we like mm-hmm. building out the draft. So and for us to get somebody that's going to make a splash impact like we I think we need, we're going to have to give up a pick and, and a pretty high pick. Maybe even the first, but that guy uh, needs to be worth it. There, I, I no, hope we don't do it, but that guy, you know, if it is, he got to be a guy, and ain't very many guys out there. Unless you're going to get Von Miller, I don't think there's anybody out that's there who's the worth it first. Didn't want to because I didn't want to jinx okay. it. But that's the guy I was didn't want to jinx it. So unless you're going to get Von Miller, I don't think you're going to have to give up a, a, a first round pick. I mean, there should be lots of. On the margin, but useful talent that Wink Martindale can make use of within his scheme, manage snaps, improve the productivity of McPhee in the process. I think you get somebody decent for about a fifth round pick, maybe a fourth round pick. But there's a lot of guys where, you know, we're at that point in the season where teams are well served to get out of some expensive veteran contracts when they're out of it this year. And they can get a pick next year, and they're going to lose the guy anyway. But they, but you know, they save some cap dollars this year, and they they uh, create a draft pick for next year. Just it makes all kinds of sense. So the Ravens shouldn't feel pressured into making a move as much as they really could use another pass rusher. Uh, I think this team has, a, frankly, a lot of needs, and I don't right. think even with a pass rusher that they're going to suddenly jump up to being one and a half percent better chance to win the Super Bowl this year, say. And I, I don't, I wouldn't give up a, a number one pick for anybody right now, and I, probably including Von Miller. I wouldn't, I, even though it might be the right price, somebody might be willing to pay it. I probably wouldn't, I probably wouldn't do it. Yeah, I agree with you. There are way more holes offensively and defensively than just pass rush. Pass rush just may seem to be the biggest one because we're so used to having a pass rush. Mm-hmm. Is there more pressure on the team to win now while Lamar's cheap? 
We've got four years of Lamar being cheap. This is the first of four. And so they're going to have three more of that, and they are outstanding opportunities, every single one of them, to try and you know get that extra piece or two mm-hmm. around him, you know, poss- quite possibly on the defense at this point. Right now, the offense is by far the cheapest in terms of points scored per cap dollar spent in the entire NFL. And they are such an outlier so far away from everybody else, it's not even funny. Even if they'd been shut out by Miami, they'd still be number one. Wow. Right. But then on the other side of the ball, they're the oldest squad on the team, on the yeah. field. So. Yeah. All right. Hey, balance. <laughs> All right. Well, would your TV go off letting you know the Browns are getting yeah. destroyed tonight? Don't, don't, don't tell me anything. It's 21 to 3 right now, end of the half, and I, don't, I really don't want to hear from All you guys right. what's going on, if you don't mind. All right. Okay. <laughs> I think 21 to 3 tells you enough, but we'll <laughs> don't, go don't on. Don't tell me more. I'm not saying any more. <laughs> I'm saying what you know. <laughs> All right, Coach, uh, what can we plug for you? Uh, simply my, my uh, YouTube page, uh, Sip the Tally Films. You get um, two breakdowns a week. Uh, whether it be offense, defense, whoever I deem needs to be talked about for that week, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Coach Evans Nine and also on Instagram at Sip the Tally Films. Do you know who you're talking about this week? Uh, I do not. I I don't. I really don't know who it is until I get to all twenty-two. Gotcha. And once I get to all twenty-two, I, I have some things in mind, but I I need to see the all twenty-two first. Okay. All right, and then Ken Film Study Baltimore dot com. Studybaltimore.com, go out there. For, there's a defensive review up there now, a whole bunch of different things about the pass rush, about the cornerbacks in particular, play-by-play reviews of what they did in this game. I, th- I had them as the first, second, and third MVPs in this game. We haven't done MVPs in a while, but you can take a look out there to see what they are. Uh, the big thing I want to do is if you come up with a great question, we'd love to do a film study short with you for 15 minutes, which means we'll take anybody who's got a good question, make them a guest, have a 10- to 15-minute episode to try and talk through that question, we can make it question and answer if that's what you want. I'd even more prefer if you have your own comments to make and we can just have an interactive discussion about it. That'd be terrific too. But And we want to leave that open to the, to the listeners, to the, to the uh, uh, podcast listeners. And, and we had a great one already as an example out there uh, that Steve Peduto, and uh, he did a great job on the 335 nickel. I'd love to, love to hear anybody else who's got similar questions. Right, right. Yeah, make sure you check that out. You may have missed it because it came out over the weekend, so you might have missed it in your commute or caught it on Monday. It's not out of date. Go listen. Uh, great question. And, yeah, the shorts are a great way that Ken is continuing to try to expand this podcast to seven days a week. <laughs> Thanks, Josh. I, yeah. I, I, he says that with, uh, with his green screen. No, I'm all good. <laughs> I'm good. As I'm doing Coach. my second for the sh- for the night, so I'm good. <laughs> Coach, thank you so much. You're, you're a great guest. You give us a perspective we just love having on this show in terms of, of really understanding technical aspects of football, the shoulder play on the, on, the, uh, on the edge setting, just something we wouldn't get from anybody else. Really appreciate you coming on. As an honor and a pleasure.
At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.